All right, welcome back. I would like to introduce to you, to our main speaker for tonight, Steve L. Everybody, my name is Steve Lopez. I'm an alcoholic. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be sober. I want to thank Don for inviting me to participate in my sobriety. It's necessary for me to be of service on a daily basis to treat my alcoholism. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity that she's extended me, and it's great to be amongst you. Um, let's get the stats out of the way. I have a home group. That's Bellflower Big Book Group. I'm actively sponsored, and my sobriety date is January 21st, 1985. Um, it has nothing to do with me. It just has everything to do with the power of Alcoholics Anonymous, its steps, its principles, its traditions, its concepts. When applied, a person can stay sober for various lengths of sobriety. My sponsor always starts his talks, or often I should say, with a cheery little note. And that cheery little note is, some of us in this room are going to die drunk. Maybe me, maybe you. Now, why he says that is because he has the vantage point of looking out over the audience from 60 years of sobriety, not my paltry 34. So he's seen the revolving door in Alcoholics Anonymous. Most alcoholics never even make it into the rooms, and I didn't really appreciate that until for about a year and a half I had a panel at the Midnight Mission over in Skid Row and saw some of us dying drunk out on the sidewalks, you know, not even making it into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And some of us who make it in don't stay. And so you know how the math works. About half of us seem to stay, and of that, of that half, another half of us seem to fulfill the requirements of sobriety. And that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, a lot of us like to beat the tambourine around the third tradition. I can come in here and identify any way I want because the only requirement for, you know, AA membership is what? A desire to stop drinking, right? However, here's the great blind spot. I certainly had it when I got here. Alcoholism has its own set of rules. And they ain't written down anywhere. They're not even in our book. Our book is just a hope. It's just a shot in the dark at telling a guy like me how to get through one day, right? Alcoholism has its own set of rules. And so what I've come to find out is that a desire to stop drinking is not the only requirement for sobriety. In fact, most of the stuff I have to do is contrary to my natural desires. Okay, Most of my desires got me here. Most of my desires are listed on page 62, you know, starting with the words selfishness, self-centeredness. And I thought I had a drinking problem when I got here. And I, like many people in this room, I suspect, used enough drugs to kill a Shetland pony, but you will never hear me identify as a, a drug addict. I'm just an alcoholic who's a pig. That's all. And the reason for that is because my nature, my constitution, is described in deadly accuracy in the doctor's opinion, where it talks about a guy like me who can't distinguish the true from the false. It talks about a guy like me who's restless, irritable, and discontent between drinking episodes. It talks about a guy like me who will not subject or submit himself to frothy emotional appeals. You said you'd stop, you know, that kind of nonsense. I will tell you, yeah, you're right. I said I'd stop. I will. But I'm going to be down at the bar like within 15 minutes, right? So all of that stuff describes me to a T and what it's describing. If you've had a chance to read in our book, The Doctor's Opinion, and if you haven't, I invite you to, 
is with great precision what my interior topography is. The internal experience of alcoholism. It's not about all the pyrotechnics and theatrics of wrecking cars and writing hot checks and hitting on your old lady in front of you and wetting my pants and waking up in a puddle of my own vomit, you know, just having a great time out there. Okay, that's, that's out there in the third dimension. What it's talking about is my fourth dimension condition, that I am spiritually bankrupt when I get here. Man, I'm like a black hole in space. I can't do a single thing for another living soul and I don't want to. And there's a guy who's in the big meeting in the sky now, a guy named Chuck C., who used to speak all over, well, all over the world, but certainly all over Southern California. And he used to say that I'm like a guy walking around with a loaded 45 to my head. That's the only reason I come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not through any virtue, not because I want to be a Boy Scout or the next Mother Teresa. It's because I can't live with, I, I've gotten, in my case, I've arrived at the juncture that's described in our book on page 152. I can't imagine my life with alcohol, can't tolerate another drink, and I can't imagine my life without it. But I can't stop drinking, don't know how, can't commence life or conduct life on my own, can't mediate the effects of this condition on my own. And so when I come in here, I have a whole set of behaviors from where I have just been operating a week before arriving here. And they're all based on me, what I think, what I want to do. They are, there's zero consideration for you at all. And that is a blueprint for disaster. My life was running out my sleeve, as my friend Sharon likes to say, while I was out there drinking. And I just got lucky enough to walk in the rooms. And here I am. And it's not through any earned virtue. It's not because I know something you don't. I mean, I might, but it's not about my, it's not, here's what I'm trying to say is it's not about smart or dumb. It's about defiance or reliance. And I can tell you that my sponsor is correct that for me, I'm like so many alcoholics who throw in the towel, grab it back, and then spend the rest of my sobriety throwing in a little piece at a time to see if that kind of appeases God, you know. Like I have to hotwire reality somehow, or like I have that capability. And the whole deal is about surrender. And frankly, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that without the guidance of a sponsor. Now, one of the things that happens to me almost every time I speak, and I don't know why it is, I love to load up on caffeine before I talk. So I often get to the end of my talk. That was the big Las Vegas ending there. You got that sort of on the backside up front. Um, so let me kind of reload and just tell you that um, I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, our family had a lot of colorful drinkers. I can't say who was an alcoholic and who's not. I don't know who's an alcoholic of my type in this room. Say, I'm an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. I'm an alcoholic who's beyond all human help and all human aid. I don't know who else is in here. Ain't none of my business. Any more than I know or can diagnose uncles, cousins, my father, my grandfathers. But all of them seem to have an affinity for alcohol. And all of them seem to have problems as a result of their drinking. So there was a lot of stuff that went on in our family um, in a lot of Jekyll and Hyde behavior, you know, good times and then violence and arguments and duplicitous behavior, act, you know, affairs, whatnot. 
I thought it was because we were Mexican that we were so crazy. <laughs> you know, one Mexican talking to another. Um, so I didn't understand what I was seeing as a young kid. I didn't understand, you know, when my dad and his partners would get together at our place on Sunday and they'd be swilling tequila out of the bottle and they'd be in a good-natured way arguing about who was going to suck down the, the worm, right? El gusano at the bottom of the bottle is a rite of passage. It's a chest-beating, leg-lifting, saber-rattling gesture of manhood. Who is going to suck down the worm? So, I mean, I would look out and go, who are these people? You know, I mean, I had old ideas before I was old. I, I, I used to think somebody swapped out my wrist bracelet at the hospital and sent me home with the wrong folks because I just really didn't identify with my own surroundings, didn't identify with, odd as it may sound to you, as being a part of a Mexican family. Now, if there's any Hispanophiles in the audience, when you, if you choose to come up and thank me, don't sound me about that. That was then, this is now. I go to Olvera Street all the time. <laughs> Los Lobos is my favorite band. I'm down for the life. Okay, so... But the fact of the matter is I didn't understand what I was seeing, and I kept thinking, and I don't know where I got these ideas, that, that maybe there was this sort of rogue wasp in my ancestry, if that guy would just show up, some guy named Wellington Mumford Chubb III, and, you know, snatch me and take me back to Boston with him or Marblehead or something, that all would be well, um, as opposed to my actual grandfathers, Juan Lopez and Alfonso Flores from East L.A. and City Terrace, respectively. So I had this unwanted you know, this aversion to my own experience. Uh, I was my own unwanted reality. Didn't know what to do about that. And, um, I mean, one of the things that I, I um, you know, hit out in was hoops. I was one of those kids I'd rather play basketball than eat. I was one of those kids that, if you know, where they turn out the lights at the playground, I'd still be shooting hoops in the dark. And, um, and, and all this stuff at home would be, it would happen, you know, the drinking, the whatever, the arguments. But it was a place, that was my place. I don't know if you all had a place that you retreated to. I hear people from the podium say I was into books. My friend uh, Ronald W. talks about that. Um, various things. For me, it was hoops. And uh, I was, you know, I, I had game. And I was on target to suit up varsity by the time I was a junior. And varsity coach had ID'd me, all that stuff. Had a lot of drive, determination, dedication, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of D words. Um, and I'll tell you where that landed me. It landed me in the up in the balcony of the Whiskey A Go Go, looking down on the stage, seeing the house, this little unknown house band set up, some guys called The Doors. And um, they were opening for a group called Them. That's probably way past most everybody's memory in here. But the lead singer was a guy named Van Morrison. And uh, so... You know, we talk about, on page 73, it talks about more than most people, alcoholics like to lead a double life. So I'm trying to keep it together, trying to be an athlete, I'm trying to do this, trying to do that, but I meet my boys, man, and we're running flat out. And the, and the call of the whiskey and that life was just too strong. I mean, you couldn't have told me that, I, that that wasn't Camelot. And I abandoned everything for that for that moment, you know. Now, did I stay in that moment? No, alcoholics tend to be kind of mercurial. Within about, I don't know, two or three years, I was married. Under the heading of it seems like a good idea at the time. Can you relate to that? I mean, and, and why I say that, and I'm not trying to be whimsical, but that was how much consideration I gave to it. 
was that uh, I had no more business being married than, than I mean, I should have been chained to the mast. Um, I had nothing to offer that young lady. We stayed married for about 15 years. She was obsessed with counting drinks. I was obsessed with taking them. So we kind of had that going on. And um, but I didn't I didn't have any consideration for her. I I mean if 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 somebody I'm sponsoring says can I have a relationship and they use those those specific words I will say no it's not an object, it's not a possession. Let's review the bidding. How are you doing with just for starters, the um, St. Francis prayer. How are you doing with wanting to forgive rather than be forgiven, comfort rather than be comforted, love rather than be loved? Can you practice self-forgetting? I'm not. I'm still not that good at it. Man, that's the advanced class. Self-forgetting. If you can't, get a Chia Pet. <laughs> get a library card. Subscribe to Netflix. It's not like we need the AA landscape littered with more broken families and wrecked relationships. Now, that isn't going to stop anybody from doing that, but that's my notion about that. I, I guess I'll take a sidebar here to say the longer I've stayed sober, and it's a gift and it's a grace, the more protective I've become of Alcoholics Anonymous I was introduced to. I don't know what AA you've been introduced to, but I've been introduced to the Alcoholics Anonymous in our book. In the forward of the first edition, it talks about we're 100 men and women, which I think is really cool. I'm not a fan of specialty meetings. I like us all together. We're 100 men and women. And our job is simply this. Bill says it this way. Our job is to, we simply want to be helpful. Those men and women said our job is to tell you precisely how we recovered. No tap dancing, no guessing. Here's what we did. Do it, don't do it. Here's the dice. Man, we're playing. You bet your life. And so then it's up to me to do what it is I'm going to do or not right? Because the old saying is you can tell an alcoholic, but you can't tell them much, right? wonder why that is. But anyway, um, where was I? Wandering around in my story. Um, so, yeah, thanks. I, I, I was married, but not really marriage material. We managed to stay married for 15 years because I was not unlike Bill. The drive for success was on. I was obsessed with career, and that was one of the things that fueled the double life, because I married a woman who was, you know, here I am running up and down the Sunset Strip before I get married with my boys, naked with our hair on fire, just going to the clubs, doing this, doing that, doing whatever, and then I do this about face, and I get married, and this woman's from a very conservative family and religious and all this, and so page 73 again, man, just find a, just give me a telephone booth and I'll switch costumes, you know, I'll just change into whatever it is I need to. The problem there is, and to some degree it still haunts me, but certainly back then I didn't have a genuine, sincere, or compassionate, trustworthy bone in my body. I love Norm Alpe because he'll talk in the present tense. I have a whole series of his talks, and when he's speaking in the present moment, he says, I'm a user. Not talking about the past only. I'm a user and therefore I'm a loser. I still have those tendencies. That host of character deficiencies inside of me will sometimes come to the surface like the Loch Ness Monster. I get bored, right? Or whatever the case might be, and I need to, what? Use you to amuse myself. It's really about that simple. When you get bit by a shark in a shark attack, it ain't personal. If I'm drinking... Or, newsflash, 
I behave the same way when I'm suffering from untreated alcoholism, when I'm either under the influence of alcohol directly or under the influence of alcoholism without the mediation or interference or in involvement of the steps, I'm going to behave the same way. To the untrained eye, I'm either drunk while drinking or drunk while not drinking. It's the same behavior, which is what Alcoholics Anonymous is attempting to help me understand. So while I'm married to this young lady, she's getting a double dose. I'm behaving out of that behavior. I'm, I mean, I'm acting out of that behavior from both sides of my alcoholism, both the active and the passive. Um, when we parted company, if you had put a gun to my head, I couldn't have told you her favorite flower, her favorite fragrance, her favorite piece of music, her favorite color. And that's because I'm a guy who's hanging out on page 62. I'm a user. Therefore, I'm a loser. In other words, in that relationship, I had no interest in contributing to her well-being. In the relationship that I've been in for many, many years, I've been married for 27 years, um, I'm 100% committed to my wife's well-being. That doesn't mean we always see eye to eye. What it does mean is that I attempt to find access to the principles, and sometimes I can't get there on my own. Sometimes it feels to me, being on the path, that it's darkness three feet ahead. Call a sponsor, Steve. That's what bails me out. Calling a sponsor, being with somebody who has a different perspective. Quite, quite frankly, it's this. What I know about my sponsor is he's not emotionally involved with my life, so he'll tell me the straight goods and doesn't care whether he hurts my feelings, doesn't care if I fire him. What he cares about is just telling me the truth about what? Precisely how he's recovered. Steve, it sounds like you're heading toward a drink, not away from it. It's that simple. So I circled the drain for about three years after, after that divorce. I had become the youngest vice president in, in the company that I was working for. It was a medical device company. I was uh, involved with... Um, negotiating contracts in some of the biggest teaching institutions in this country, the, you know, the Baylors, the Mayo Clinics, the Johns Hopkins, Harvard Medical School, that kind of stuff. Odd, really odd for a guy like me because I'm an, as the carpenter said, I'm an ordinary and unlettered man. I mean, the only letters after my name are IOU, um, if you can catch me. Uh, so I don't know. It's just like this, what I'm doing right now. I've always had a facility for the gab. And... Um, Somehow I ended up in an executive position dealing with some very high-level, a lot of engineers, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of bioengineering and surgeon developers of, we were in the implantable device market. Like when people have their hips replaced or knees replaced, we worked with surgeons who designed that stuff. And so I was in surgery a lot in all of those places. And just being in, in, in environments where I had no, <laughs> I had no business being based on my credentials. Absolutely none. I took that for granted in a way that a guy in my position should have never done. I mean, here's the thing. What I've learned now, I'm just going to flash forward for a second, is that any work that we can do, my, my sponsor likes to say, just get a job with a paycheck. Never mind the fanfare or, you know, stardom or never mind what they're paying you. Get a job for with a paycheck. In fact, Clancy often says, don't tell anybody, kid. We should probably pay people to let us work for them. In other words, have a place to go. Have a commitment to show up to. Be on my best behavior. 
suit up, show up, yes sir, no sir. Why, you know, that's so square, right? It's so lame. Why do I need to do that? Because all of those behaviors are antithetical to my drinking self. And the only way that I can sidestep my drinking self just for today is to pour a little light on the situation. And sometimes that light needs to come out of the book. Sometimes it comes out of the room I'm in with you guys. Sometimes it comes out of my sponsor's mouth. Sometimes it comes out of an amends I've made. And I go, oh, geez, that was about... And I, for those of you who have made amends in the room, maybe you've had this experience. I've, do, I've done a lot of them over the years. And that is, I'll go in thinking that the amends pertains to something very specific. And it does. And I, and I have the opportunity to say, you know, I can't blame my drinking on what I did. I can't blame my alcoholism on what I did. You did not deserve that kind of behavior or treatment. And so what I need to know from you is what would you have me do to make our relationship right and put it on balance, on an equal footing? What would you have me do? I've had some people say, never talk to me again. I can do that, right? That's reasonable and it's doable. If that's their preference, then sponsor directed. Leave them alone. That's the amends. But in order for me to fulfill the amends, I have to be prepared to do what? Say, I'm sorry. How many of us have ever said, I'm sorry, when we're drunk and hungover and we've worked somebody again and again? Doesn't count. I have to be ready to demonstrate amended behavior or it's, there's no point in my showing up. There's absolutely no point in my going if I'm not ready to demonstrate to you, hey, I've changed in a way that is meaningful. If you want me to participate in your life, I'm willing to do that on a different basis, not as I see it. Thy will be done, right? That's pretty simple. Now, why would I need to do that? Again, I would rather stay sober than be where I was before I got here. If you're new here tonight, we know you probably haven't had a really great year. We just kind of know that about you because we've been there. Our year leading up to this is just like your year. The details are probably a little different. If you speak to any of us at length, if you allow us to work with you to go through the steps, you may be surprised to know we know more about you than you know about yourself. Maybe not the details, but the patterns, the trends, the influences, the drives. We've had to shine light on that with a sponsor holding the flashlight for us so that we can see ourselves. Why is that? Because I'm a coward, man. Because I'm an angle shooter. Because I, I want to take a shortcut. I want to look good. I love what Vince Y. used to say. Steve, you can't save your face and your ass at the same time. Alcoholics Anonymous is a place where you come to look bad. Not to be cool. Leave your cool at the door. It'll get you drunk. You don't have to take my word for it. You hang on to it and see where it takes you. Okay? I'm, I'm not anti-anything here. We, to be helpful is our only aim. What it's about for me, is trying to learn what the next indicated step is in my sobriety. And I was so far away from that when I was out there drinking that, you know, I, I just, I had no idea. You know, there was, there was a British poet who said after the Battle of Dunkirk, none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed. I had no idea how far away from being just a functional human being I was. I mean, I was emotionally bereft. I was like a shell. I was empty cared about no one, all the outside stuff, what it said on my business card, how much money I was making, how much attention you were giving me, and that's all superficial. That's, I mean, if you're, if you're getting attention, making money, and you're having success, that's great. I don't have an issue with that, nor should I. 
right? Our tenth tradition says we don't have outside opinions on things, or we're, we're recommended not to. None of my business. But what I do know is from watching that in the rooms, I can tell you that a lot of people have fallen off the path in pursuit of that, in being like me when I was drinking and being like Bill when he was drinking. The drive for success is on, right? Where does that land me? It lands me on the Jaywalker page. I will get this idea out of my head. I will now do this. I will now do that. The operative word is what? I, right? I won't survive that way in Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, how do I know that? Because I've tried, right? I've tried. I, I got to AA. I've tried not with not with any sense of like, you know, this is my manifesto. I'm going to come to AA, and I'm going to be an absolute idiot. I'm going to do everything opposite. I don't know of anybody who says that. Why would you go here, it, it, you know, with that sort of oomph to commit to not being a part of? Most of us don't know if we're doing that, that we're doing that. I mean, if I admitted that to myself, I'd just go down to Starbucks and hang out. Why would I waste my time here or go to a Laker game? But I, you know, I get here and think that I know what's going on. I think if you give me back my money, property, and prestige, what unmanageability, right? I think that if, if I can read, on page 61, it talks about the guy who arranges the lights, you know, and if he can just get everybody to stick to the script and stick to their lines and do what it is that he wants them to do, everything will be fine, right? Ever had that feeling? If people will just cooperate with me, I know better, right? I know better. It'll it'll come out. It'll, you guys just chill. Listen to me. I know better. I get here. I think I'm the smartest guy in Alcoholics Anonymous. Sometimes I still do, erroneously. Bill talks about errant nonsense in the steps. And... I don't understand what I'm dealing with. I think, again, give me back my money, property, and prestige. We're good. But I don't understand that I have a fourth dimension condition. And I'm trying to arrange the lights here in the third dimension. I have a spiritual malady. I have a spiritual sickness. And I can't do enough push-ups or get enough promotions or increase my 401k or drive enough fancy cars to fill the hole created by my alcoholism in my soul. Ain't going to happen for a drunk like me. I'm an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. I, again, I don't know who is or isn't, who relates to that, who has or has not had that experience. But I can tell you in my case, what happens is the voices come back. The darkness redescends. I'm back on page 152. I got there physically sober without a drop of alcohol in my body at 13, right? Because I had been out there chasing, I had been out there living as Steve sees it. And now here, here's here's what I know. Now you won't find this in our book. I won't I won't debate it or defend it with anybody. But it's my belief that God gives us, it grants us a certain amount of idiot time sober. <laughs> might be a long time for you. Might be a little bit. Or maybe in your case, you're going to be a perfect member. In my case, I was an idiot for certain for about the first 13 years of my sobriety, meaning shaving the edges, doing it my way. Yeah, I got a sponsor. Leave me alone, but not calling them. Uh, I did your stupid steps, that kind of stuff. But business, money, property, prestige, that's what will do it. Come to find out it doesn't. But it took me a long, well, Paul McCartney says the long and winding road, man. It's taken me a long time to understand what we have here something entirely different, something I had little knowledge of. 
I had little awareness of knowing I even needed the solution at depth. I had no idea how dark my alcoholic interior was. I had little idea of how how seldom the sunlight of the spirit was populating my insides. Didn't know that. And so at 13 years physically sober, the voices are back, and I wanted to put a gun in my mouth because I think I've done your thing, right? I think I've I've been here. I've been parking my butt in the seat. I've had a sponsor. I've been a sponsor. I've been speaking in AA, for Christ's sake. think I've taken your steps. Think haven't surrendered. Didn't know it. Lethal. Deadly. I am very fortunate to be a guy who got a second chance at a second chance. What happened is this. My first surrender got me through the door based on my relation, my physical relationship to alcohol. And I could see that manifestation of my alcoholism, right? I could see having burnt down a career, having burnt down all my family relationships, having ended a marriage. I mean, all that stuff, it's really visible. What happened at 13 years physical sobriety is that I had to surrender to my untreated alcoholism. And it happened when I was listening to a guy, uh, excuse me, it always kind of touches me a little bit, a guy named Johnny who was talking up in uh, Monterey, and he, for some reason, just quoted that part of the book in, on page 62, Selfishness, Self-Centeredness, and it was like, bam, it was like a lightning bolt. All of a sudden it dawned on me what these old-timers were talking about as it relates to me. Can't say for anybody else, but they were talking about untreated alcoholism. They were talking about the persistence of the condition. The persistence of the illusions astonishing. The persistence that because I put the plug in the jug or screwed the, the, the you know the screw top back on, that it's all good. Has nothing to do with that. Right? Alcohol's minding its own business when I walk into a liquor store. It's in my head. This is all in my head and inside of me, what I'm dealing with. And so I had to re-engage with the steps. I had to, re and I couldn't do that alone. I didn't didn't know what I didn't know. I got I got really lucky. Met a guy, who at that time was he had about the same amount of time I have right now, and uh, he re-engaged me with AA in a very powerful way. A guy named Glenn, who's in the big meeting in the sky, and I became a newcomer. My friend Todd uses that phrase all the time, and um, so I was grateful that somebody took the time with me without belittling me and telling me what an idiot I was, but I was. And he was well within his rights to point that out, but he didn't. He just kept saying, here's what I do with here. Here's what I do with this. Here's what I do with... Basically, Glenn would say, Steve, my job is just to show you my life. That's what a good sponsor does. My job is to make the big book come alive in front of you to the best of my ability. That's what a good sponsor does, or a committed sponsor. Good or bad is, you know, who knows what that is. But so... I, I had the opportunity then to re-engage and understand why I was re-engaging with Alcoholics Anonymous. I could have just as easily not been here tonight, truthfully. Alcoholism is a very lethal, powerful condition. And most of us, it seems to me, I don't want to paint anybody with a different brush, but it seems to me that most of us don't, you know, well, here's what the book says. Without help, it is too much for us. So I don't understand what I'm shadow boxing with. I think if I'm just cool and get the job back or her back or whatever, it's all good. Manipulating the third dimension doesn't work that way. Um, I will just wander into a, a real quick conclusion here and tell you one of the more powerful things that happened to me with regard to the steps. Um, my dad and I didn't have much of a relationship 
I mean, I had made the amends to him and all that, but when he got really, really sick, and, and he drank like I drank, but he never made it to these rooms. He was curious about what I was doing, but he never made it inside the room. And um, But when he was getting close to death, he was in and out of hospitals, in and out of skilled nursing facilities, and I went to the old man, and I, Clancy, and I said, you know, I got a knot in my gut, and I don't know why. You know my inventory, and you know that I've made amends, and I'm still kind of sideways with this. What What do you want me to do? And he said, well, simple. Why don't you try this, kid? Why don't you go and treat your dad as though he were the best father that anybody could ever hope for? Now, why that was so spot on and why he basically fast-forwarded me into the 12th step, meaning having an, uh, and, and a spiritual awareness, a spiritual, an awakened perspective to my to my dark side, to my reservations about that relationship. See, I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. I didn't have a bad relationship with my dad. I didn't have any kind of relationship with my dad. We got really close, and he, he, he sought me out to make his decision to go into hospice and a lot of other things I didn't expect him to do. And I showed up in his room on a, for all intents and purposes on the last day he was on this planet and uh, in form. And uh, I got there, and he was agitated. And I said... Uh, I'm going to take a guess here, but you're, you're, you seem like you're really, really upset, and I'm assuming that it's probably because of what's going on in your life and the uncertainty of it. And he said, yeah. And I said, well, I have no basis for what I'm about to say to you, but I'm going to say it anyway. And it just comes from being around the people I've been around at that time for the last 25 years. Uh, I said, you know what? It's my hunch that dying is perfectly safe. And he said, come again. And I said, well, it's just a guess on my part, but that the power that's holding us together right now, right here in this moment, that that power will meet you on the other side of this experience when you step into the next room. And he said, really? You really believe that? I said, I'm betting my life on it. And he did what Johnny talks about with the first drink. He just exhaled. He had a little bit of peace, a little bit of comfort. He was able to bow to the inevitable. He was gone in a couple of hours. Those experiences don't come from, I mean, my participation didn't come from me. It came from me being with you and learning what it is here to the best of my ability precisely in the way that it's outlined for me to follow it. And those are the kinds of experiences that were led to. Peace.